Good morning, everybody. I'm Joe Collins, and uh, it is great to be together. We are following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. So there was this old preacher, and uh, he was he was at the end of his life. He was he was dying, and he literally only had a a couple hours left to live. And so he sent messengers out to go find his banker and his lawyer. These were members of his congregation. He'd known them for many, many years, and he'd asked for them to come and be at his bedside in his final hours. And so after a short time, people went out. They found the banker. They found the lawyer. They brought him back to his house. They went upstairs into the bedroom, and there was the old preacher lying in the bed, breathing very shallowly, and he, he opened his eyes, and he saw them, and he he motioned them for to come and sit on either side of him, and they came and they sat down. And he held their hands, and there was a long period of silence where they could just hear his breathing get shallower and shallower. And, and the whole time, that you know, they were thinking to themselves that this was very awkward that he in, that he invited them. I mean, sure they were his banker and his lawyer, and they were members of the congregation, but they weren't especially close. And as they sat there, they began to remember various sermons that he had taught where he talked about greed and envy and selfish ambition and they and there were times where they felt like he was talking to them and that made them uncomfortable but they they sat there in silence and eventually the lawyer finally you know just couldn't take it anymore and he spoke very quietly to the old preacher and he said he said preacher we're we're honored to be here but we're perplexed we weren't especially close and here you are asking us to be by your side in your, in your last moments, why, why would you ask us? And the old, the old preacher took a breath, and in a very weak voice, he said to them, Jesus died between two thieves, and I wanted to go out the same way. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, or sorry, Mark chapter 3. Let's pray before we read. Father, it is great to be together. Thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for your word and the opportunity that we have to study it. Help us to learn from it, to be changed by it, and to be inspired uh, to live our lives the way you call us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them those he wanted. And they came to him. He pointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, to whom, to them, he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. To, to just get us back into, into where we've been in our, in our study of the, the Gospel of Mark and our following Jesus, uh, last, uh, it was two weeks ago before Mother's Day, our last series, we, our last sermon, we, we talked about how Jesus didn't want demons or crowds to spread, to spread his method and his message, but he wanted people, individuals, changed people to share his message and his method. Right now, that where, where this uh, experience takes place is near the Sea of Galilee, one, on, on, 
on one of the many hillsides that are around the Sea of Galilee. We don't know exactly where, but that's where Jesus is. He's there, and he's called his disciples. Remember, Jesus had spent some time going around and making connections with people and calling people to become followers of his, and now he was ready to, to officially designate some of them as sort of his official, full-time uh, men that he was going to train to be uh, what he called apostles or messengers. And, and, and these are the people that he wanted to focus on because it was these people, not the crowds, not the demons, but it was these people that he was going to send out. That's what the word apostle means, send out. That he was going to send out to spread, to spread his message and his method. Now, when we talk about this phrase, send out, this word apostle, it's a little, it's a little more uh, profound than just sending people out. The term really has a sense of authority or, offic or officiality about it. In other words, uh, to be an apostle meant you were an official designated, uh, it was an official designated position or office. It was a lot like being an ambassador. And so Jesus called these 12 to be his official designated ambassadors. Now, just, just to be clear, we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed him and eventually went and committed suicide. And later, the, the 11 apostles chose another man named Matthias to replace him. And so Matthias can sometimes be referred to as an apostle, although he was not of this 12 at this point in time that was designated. He might have been there, but he wasn't one of the 12. Later on, the apostle Paul was chosen by Jesus Christ miraculously, where he had, he had a vision of Jesus Christ, and he was called an apostle. So there's actually some debate over whether Matthias should have been appointed an apostle or not, because there should be 12. Jesus chose 12. There should be 12. The, 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 the early disciple, the early apostles replaced Judas, who killed himself with Matthias, but, but Jesus later appointed Paul as an apostle and, and specifically called him that. So there's debate whether there should have been 12 counting Paul, not counting Matthias. Does that make sense? But that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other study for another time. But for now, and where we are in the book of Mark, we're just going to talk about these 12 minus Judas because he, he actually leaves the story eventually. So we're going to talk about these men and the office that they were, give, that they were called to, that they were assigned uh, of, of being an apostle, an official ambassador for Christ. They were designated to specifically share his message and his method with the world around them. Now, I want to point out that the number 12 is significant. There's a reason why Jesus chose 12. And the reason is because in the Jewish uh, uh, faith or in the, the nation, in the Jewish uh, community, they were the descendants, the Jews, of, of the 12 sons of a man named Jacob whose name had been changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, and those 12 sons be became the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And over many generations, they multiplied and became a mighty nation. Many, many millions of people that are Jewish trace their, their roots, their origins, back to one of the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So Jesus chose 12 apostles very specifically as replacements, for lack of a better way to put it, for the 12 sons of Israel. In other words, those 12 sons, they created the nation of Israel. Jesus was starting a whole new thing, and so he chose 12 apostles to be the patriarchs of this new nation of Israel, in quotes. 
They're not physically related, but they're related because these 12 men, whoever they converted, would be considered their offspring, and so on and so forth. And so we have uh, a very clear distinction where Jesus is getting rid of the old wineskin. We've talked about this before. He's replacing it with a new wineskin, and that new wineskin would be comprised of the 12 apostles. And they were going to start a new movement of followers of Christ. And they would become the new people of God, the new Israelites. Now, this is important. All followers of Christ, all Christians, people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, are ambassadors. And make no mistake, if you are a Christian today, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. We are absolutely that. But we are not officially designated in the same sense that these men were. These men were unique. They were unique for a number of reasons. One, some of them, at least James and John, the two brothers, were probably related to Jesus, which makes sense why they were so familiar with him when he came and called them. He wasn't a stranger. Number two, others of them were probably friends of Jesus' family. So there was even more familiarity than just with those two, but many of the others. Number three, many of the, of the early followers, the early apostles, were friends of each other growing up, like Bartholomew and Philip. Many of them were followers of John the Baptist, so there was already a sense of connection that these men had with each other. And here's the most important fact that we've got to tune into. All of them knew Jesus personally and were specifically, as Mark tells us, called by him to be apostles in the official capital A ambassador sense of the word. They were his official delegates. So that means, for, for those reasons and, and probably several others that I could think of, there are, that means that only these 12 can be officially called, uh, can be called official apostles appointed by Christ. That's who they are, and that's who they are forever. Again, we can debate whether it should be Matthias who replaced Judas or Paul or whatever, but these 12 are, supposed, are designated, you know, they're the patriarchs of the Christian faith, like the sons of Israel were for the Jewish faith. These are the patriarchs, and they'll never be replaced. You can't replace those people. They are who they are, and they're forever established and set in that uh, uh, position. But everyone who followed after them, everyone they converted and everyone who those people converted and everyone who those people converted and on through the generations all the way today are all ambassadors. We all function as ambassadors for Christ. Even though we didn't know Jesus personally, we weren't friends with him, we weren't related to him directly, but we are still ambassadors for Christ. In fact, Jesus wants us to find more ambassadors for Christ. As an ambassador, one of your most important functions, one of your most fundamental basic job requirements for that position is to make other ambassadors, is to find other people and to call them in to the same position, the same job description that you have in Christ to be an ambassador, to spread his message and to spread his method to the, to the world around you. So Jesus is still looking for ambassadors. 
We're not going to be one of the 12, one of the patriarchs, but we can nonetheless be an ambassador. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One great truth about the apostles, and this is referring to the 12 men that we, we, we just talked about, that Jesus appointed. One thing that we can be certain of them is that they took the commission to evangelize the world, the great commission, to go out and spread the message of Jesus, the message and the method of Jesus all over the world. They took it seriously. And every true ambassador of Christ since needs to take the great commission seriously. And I know it can get hard, and I know it can get frustrating, and I know that there's periods where it feels like it's almost pointless because you've tried and there's no one that responds, but we cannot give up on ourselves. We cannot give up on the call to be an ambassador for Christ and to find others who want to be ambassadors as well. No matter how hard or difficult or challenging or even at times it, felt, it feels fruitless, we cannot give up on the commission. Because he gave it to them, and through them, he gave it to everyone who would come after them, including us and anyone who would come after each and every one of us. Now, what I want to do today is something a little different. Um, this, this midweek at the men's midweek, Javier uh, uh, Monzon is going to teach a lesson for me. I'm not going to be able to be there. I have a wedding that I have to go, uh, a rehearsal that can't move, so I'm going to be there. But at Jack Church House, at Jack Shirk house this Wednesday for midweek, Javier is going to teach a lesson. He's going to do a much more thorough study from scripture of what it means to be an apostle. He sent me his notes. It's fantastic. It's something he wrote up. It's very scholarly. It's very well done. I hope you guys enjoy it. I've looked it over and it's, it's going to be great. So there's going to be a great lesson that goes into more depth on this. But what I want to do, I want to do something totally different, something that that's even outside of my wheelhouse, especially for a Sunday morning, because I want to I want to step back for a minute <coughs> from the scriptures. And I want to talk about each of the apostles. I want to tell you who they were and what they did. That's not recorded in Scripture because it took place after the, 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 the period of revelation that we find in Scripture. And it chronicles where they went, what they do, and even how they died. Because I think in the story of these 12 men, actually 11, not counting Judas, we are going to find a very powerful example of what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Of what, it, what happens when a changed person, just one, when a changed person begins to share the message and the method of Jesus Christ to the world around them. It's unbelievable to consider what these men ultimately were able to accomplish by the power of the Holy Spirit. By far and away, Christianity, from the, the moment that these men took this commission seriously to leave Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and go to the ends of the earth, Christianity has become by far and away the largest religion that has ever existed on planet earth. 
It's the largest religion that exists today. And it's even though we hear about lots of others that are growing and whatever, it's the largest still today. And throughout history, by far and away, if you add up everybody that ever lived and died from the first century to today, it by far and away massively outnumbers any other religious belief. Twelve men who took the Great Commission seriously, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who went out to be ambassadors for Christ and then taught others to be ambassadors for Christ, changed the entire course of human history for eternity. Imagine what God wants to do through you today. So as we look at their biographies, as we, as we, as we read through them, I want you to just think a little bit about, man, what, what might God want to do through me? What might I be able to do by the power of the Holy Spirit if I also take the Great Commission as seriously as these people did? Now, to give you a little background, most of the information I'm going to share with you came from a book written by William McBearen, wrote about 1971. In my estimation, he did probably the most thorough study of the apostles' lives that's not recorded in Scripture. He starts with Scripture, so we will, we will get what we can out of Scripture about the apostles. But then he goes to historical uh, documents, which are not quite as reliable as Scripture, but they're pretty reliable. We can look at historical documents that are outside of the Bible, and, and we can get a, quite a bit of confidence that what they say is accurate. They can be cross-referenced against other historical documents. And then not only did he do that, but he also traced down the traditions Traditions are not quite as reliable as the historical documents, but the traditions can still be quite reliable, when, especially when they're cross-referenced against each other. And we can date how early the traditions form to, to get a sense of, okay, this is pretty accurate because this tradition goes all the way back to the first century or all the way back to the second century. These men lived at the, it, throughout the second half of the first century. And, but he also traced out legends. Now, legends are the most unreliable, but in the legends... I think you get a sense of the spirit of the person. You know, as, as people's stories continue to get told about the apostles, and they became less and less historical, less and less based in tr the tradition, and they became more and more legendary, there was still a kernel of the spirit of the person there. And, and at least we got a sense of, wow, this person must have done significantly something significant in order for this legend about them to be developed. So what this guy in his book did is he kind of compiled all that together and tried to paint a good picture of what these men did, where they went, and what were they like from what we can tell from history. So again, I'm stepping out from Scripture for just a minute because I think this is worthy stuff to know, to understand, and to learn. Now, I want to caution us. We're not here to pray to these men. We're not here to worship these men. We're here to celebrate their faith and what they did through the, what the Holy Spirit did through them because they took the Great Commission seriously. So with all that, let's look at Peter first. So I have a map here of the world, the basic area in which we're focusing on. And <clears throat> I want you to notice that what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw, you know, an arrow is going to appear. And it's going to trace basically the areas in which this, this apostle, uh, there's, there's historical evidence, there's scriptural evidence, there's traditional evidence, or there's even legendary evidence of this apostle being. I'm not saying that they followed this route exactly the arrow, it just shows you where their, where their influence was carried, okay? So the first one I want to talk about is Peter, and I want you to notice the amount of land that Peter 
covered. And, 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 and his influence was quite widespread in these areas. Peter was introduced by, to Christ by his brother Andrew. He was married and had a successful fishing business and lived in Capernaum. He was a unique combination of courage and cowardice, strength and instability. Christ spoke more to Peter positively and negatively than any of the other 12. In spite of his failings, Jesus nicknamed Peter, Peter. His name was Simon. He nicknamed him Peter, which means rock, or, or we could say rocky. And Peter was the son of John, and so he was Rock Johnson, which I think is a really cool name. <laughs> Jesus nicknamed Peter that, even though he was in, unstable at times, even though he was cowardice at times, he nicknamed Peter that because he knew what Peter could become. You may be a person right now that struggles with cowardice or even some instability, but in Christ, you could have a new identity. Jesus knows what you're capable of. Even though the weakest of us in here with Christ can do some incredible, some amazing things. My favorite quality of Peter, and this is stuff I'm gleaning from Scripture, by the way, was his sense of his own sinfulness. Peter was the man when Jesus got in the boat with him and said, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat, which is a crazy idea. If you've ever been fishing, it's not like the fish are on one side of the boat or the other. But after Peter had been fishing all night unsuccessfully, Jesus said, I'll try the other side, which was insane. He did it and caught so much fish that he immediately fell on his knees, looked at Jesus and said, away from me, I'm a sinner. He knew instantly that Jesus was someone special and that he wasn't. Peter is also the guy who, uh, just before the, the, the Jesus was arrested on the, on the night of the Last uh, Supper, Jesus tried to wash Peter's feet, and Peter refused because, hey, you're the king. You're the Messiah. You're our leader. That's not your job. That's, that's for the slaves. Where's Dane? That's for the slaves. <laughs> and Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. And Peter, cut by that comment, said, then wash all of me. There was such a beautiful sense of his own sinfulness. You know, without a sense of sinfulness, grace has no effect. If you don't think you're a sinner, if you don't know that you're a sinner, if you don't know that you're hopelessly broken with no hope for redemption, regardless of what your mom has told you, <laughs> grace means nothing. We got to preach grace, but we got to preach sin too. People got to know right from wrong and know that they've done wrong in order to receive grace. And Peter's such a beautiful example of scripture of a man who was in touch of his own sinfulness. He was the clear leader of the 12. His missionary activities extended north into Samaria, Syria, Iraq, Turkey, Greece, and even Rome. Some traditions even have him going north of, of uh, Rome up into uh, Europe, even into France, Germany, and maybe even Great Britain, but that's much more legendary than it is tradition or, or, or historical evidence. Tradition says that Peter the Rock spent nine months in the Mamertine prison in Rome, chained to a post, and still converted 47 other inmates. The Mamertine prison is one of the most horrific places on planet Earth. It's basically two caves in the ground, one above the other. The bottom part was where they just threw people to die. They didn't feed them. They just threw them in there, and they died. They didn't even clean it out. 
The upper chamber was literally no bathrooms, no light. There was a hole in the roof because it was in the ground. And, and if you ate, it was because a relative or a loved person came and dropped something off for you. They had Peter chained in the dark to a post for nine months in that prison where he shared his faith and converted 47 of his fellow prisoners before he was ultimately crucified on a cross upside down. Peter the rock. Rocky. Andrew. Jesus' first follower, and the brother of Peter, was more seeker than fishmonger. One of the great qualities I love about Andrew is that he was a spiritually minded guy. He was in business with Peter. They were businessmen together. But Andrew left the business and went down and hung out with John the Baptist because Andrew was about spiritual things more than he was about uh, earthly things. This is where Andrew's influence spread. Now, Andrew... Um, as a follower of Jesus Christ, heard the, heard, I mean, as a follower of John the Baptist, heard John refer to Jesus as the Christ, and so he followed Jesus Christ, became Jesus' first follower. He eventually called his brother Peter, and the two became disciples and eventually apostles of Jesus Christ. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and after the day of Pentecost and Jesus' ascension into heaven, and uh, within probably 10, 11 years, Peter went out. Fulfilling the Great Commission to go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, he went out. He left Jerusalem. He preached in Asia Minor, which is Turkey, Parthia, which is Iran, Scythia, which is Russia, and Greece. He was either stoned in Russia, some traditions, some legends say that's where he died, uh, but most of them agree that he was crucified on a cross in the shape of an X in southern Greece because he had converted the governor of the area's wife. While on the cross for two days, they didn't nail him, they tied him because they wanted it to last longer. For two days while he died, he preached to everyone who passed by. James. James is the brother of John, the first uh, you know, uh, uh, of the two sets of brothers that followed Jesus. We know the least about James. We know that he was John's brother, that he was business partners with Peter and Andrew. We know that he had a, a, a fiery temperament. Jesus nicknamed him Boandras, him and his brother, to remind them of what he didn't want them to be, hot-headed. James was the first apostle to be martyred in 44 AD. That's recorded in Scripture. While his brother John lived longer than any of the other apostles. There's a rumor, we don't know, legend, rumor, that before he was executed, he may have traveled all the way to Spain. Now you may ask yourself, how did these guys get around? You got to remember the era. This is the era of the Roman Empire. It was at its peak. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace was dominant throughout the earth. And the Romans were really good at a couple things. They were really good at keeping the peace, and they were really good at building roads. We still have Roman roads today. When my wife and I were in France, we were traveling through the country. There's still Roman roads in France that are still in existence. could be used. If they're, they're, they're protected now, but they're still usable. The Romans were great at building roads. And so in actuality, it was actually quite easy to travel all around the world during the first century. You could hop on a boat. You could go all kinds of places. It was relatively safe because the Romans built roads and kept them safe. So there's a rumor that he may have been all the way to Spain. We don't know. For sure. John, his brother, he also wrote the Gospel of John. He went far. He went to Ephesus. 
I, I think of John, I, you know, and I relate to John because I've been a disciple 20 some odd years and my whole entire Christian life's been in the San Fernando Valley and finally I go on a mission team and it's Ticini. It's like 15 <laughs> minutes away. Everybody else went all over the place. John, he went across the lake to the other side, basically across the Mediterranean Sea there. John, uh, <clears throat> James and John may have been related to Jesus on Mary's side, which would explain why Jesus asked him to take care of his mother Mary when he was dying. Like Andrew, John was also spiritually sensitive, but like James, he had a temper. All, of all the apostles, he was the closest emotionally to Jesus. He ended up caring for Mary until her death sometime in the mid-century, and many believe her tomb is in Ephesus. He moved to Ephesus and had a widespread influence throughout the area. He died peacefully in 98 AD after a long imprisonment on the island of Patmos. In his old age, this former hothead had to be carried to church. He was fond of saying, little children love one another. When asked why he said this so often, he replied, it's the Lord's command. And if this alone be done, it is enough. Philip, also a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the twelve. His name tells us that he was, more, he was as much Greek as he was Jew. Probably spoke Greek, probably very Hellenized, meaning he was very in tune with the, the Greek culture. Oftentimes in Scripture, you'll notice that people, uh, 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 Gentiles, would talk to Philip. And then he would bring them to Christ. Because Philip had that ability to connect and relate with the, the general culture. He was from the same town as Simon and Andrew, and after Jesus' ascension, he traveled to Russia, that's Scythia, and he remained there for 20 years. Later, he preached in Hierapolis in Phrygia, which is central Turkey, where the locals worshipped an idol, and legend says that he prayed for this, this idol, it was a serpent, he prayed for it to disappear, and when it did, a foul odor was released that killed a number of the pagan worshipers. worshipers. The pagan priests were so mad that they used iron hooks Jump, uh, 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 thrust them through his legs and nailed him upside down to a cross and then stoned him. All the while he prayed for them. What's interesting is there was a news report on Fox and other outlets, if you don't trust Fox, there was a news report that in 2010 his tomb had been found in the city of Heropolis. Sorry, in July of 2011. His tomb had been found in Heropolis. The next one, Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel. He was introduced by Christ to Christ by his good friend Philip. They were childhood friends. He was from Cana in Galilee, and it may have been at his house, or it was one of his relatives that was having the wedding early on in the ministry of Jesus where they went to a wedding in Cana. It may have been his, one of his relatives or even at his house where Jesus turned water into wine. Some say he traveled with a copy of Matthew's gospel as far as North Africa, eventually re reuniting with his good friend Philip in central Turkey in Phrygia, where he was crucified alongside Philip, the one that they stuck the spikes in his legs and hung him upside down. But for some reason, they released him. And so... Tradition says that he went eastward through Armenia. This is the light blue line. Into Azerbaijan, 
all the way to the Caspian Sea. By the way, this is the area that the video we watched was made about. He was either skinned alive, then crucified, or he was beheaded in Albanopolis, which is modern-day Durbent, Russia, by the king's brother after he had converted the local king to Christianity. Nathaniel was one of these guys, he was naturally spiritual. One account described him like this. He had black curly hair, white skin, large eyes, large nose, long hair, and a beard, wearing a white robe with a purple stripe that never wore out, and he wore the same shoes for 26 years. He prayed 100 times a day and 100 times a night. His voice was like that of a trumpet. He was always cheerful and spoke all languages. Now, again, I don't know how much of that is legend, how much of that is true, but we get a sense of the natural spirituality that Nathaniel had. You know, I, I got to say, I appreciate Nathaniel as one of the disciples, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, because he was a naturally spiritual guy. He was just one of those guys you liked right away. He just had a sense about him. I think it was him that Jesus said, here's a true Israelite when he met him. He was a seeker and a, and a spiritually minded guy. And that comes through in the legend about him and how much he prayed and the kind of person that he was. The next apostle I want to look at is Thomas. Now Thomas, whose name means twin, was a curious combination of doubt and faith. While he is famous for doubting the resurrection, he never gave up on himself, and he remained with the disciples for eight days until seeing Jesus for himself. You know the story of doubting Thomas. They were in a, he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, and uh, then he came later, and they're like, we saw the Lord, and he wouldn't believe him. But you know, he didn't give up. He didn't leave. He didn't go home. He stayed there for a whole week until the next weekend and Jesus appeared again and then he finally saw Jesus face to face, touched the wounds in his wrist, touched the wounds in his side and then fell down on his knees and exclaimed that he believed. He's a great example of someone who didn't give up on himself and, and, and when you think about Nathaniel and you think about Thomas, there's a contrast here that's really encouraging to me. Thomas is this great spiritual guy and we all have met people like that and sometimes we think that that's what a Christian is. But Thomas was not that guy. Thomas is the guy who struggled to believe things. He was naturally unspiritual. He was a doubter, a cynic. And thank God for Thomas because I relate to Thomas. I appreciate that he's in the Bible. And I love that statement that, that, that he didn't give up on himself. You know, not everybody's naturally spiritual. That's just the way it is. We all have different temperaments. We all have different personalities. And yet I've seen so many people who feel so bad about themselves and they end up leaving the Lord because they just don't feel like they can be like this guy who looks like he just believes without a problem. Well, Thomas is your guy. Thomas is your example. He's the guy to look to because Thomas didn't give up. He stayed, and he hung around, and he stayed in with the guys, and Jesus made himself known to him. But Thomas, that's who he was. He was just a struggler like that. He wasn't the most naturally spiritual guy. Historically, we know more about Thomas than the other apostles except for Peter and John. He evangelized eastward into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, Persia, and ultimately, it's off the map there, he went to India. Now, accounts vary, but they can be summarized as this. 
Thomas came from the Near East around 50 AD. He converted high caste Hindu families in Cranangor, Palalayar, and Quileon. He built seven churches, erected crosses, then passed to the eastern coast near Mylapore, which today is Chennai, India, where he was martyred by stoning and then run through with a lance. He made it all the way down to India and shared his faith down there. Remember what Jesus said? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Let's talk about Matthew. We already studied Matthew earlier in our, in our series. He was the tax collector that Jesus called who was working at the tax collector booth. And something struck me. You know, these towns and villages, they weren't very big. Capernaum wasn't a large place. And if you were a fisherman in business like Peter and probably a successful one, you probably knew Matthew because you probably had to pay a lot of duties and fees and fines. And he was one of the tax collectors. And I wouldn't be surprised knowing Peter as a fisherman, the captain of a boat, a rough, tough guy. He probably had a few words with Matthew from time to time. There might have been a bit of an experience before they became uh, partners in Christ. There may have been a few of the, the disciples who really didn't like that Jesus called Matthew, not just the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, but the apostles themselves would probably had a hard time with Matthew being in the gang. Matthew's the author of the Gospel of Matthew. He was the wayward son of a man named Alphaeus who may or may not have been the father of James the Less. There were two disciple apostles named James. We already talked about James, the first one. We call him James the Greater because we know more about him. He's, he was, he, there's more, uh, and he was one of the leaders of the group. But he also might have been, the word also could mean big. He might have been bigger. And so James the Less might have been the little guy. He might have been the short guy. We don't know. These were nicknames. But Matthew and James, the less, had the same name, fathers had the same name. So it's unclear whether they were related or not. But the fact of the matter is, Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for Rome. He was considered a traitor by most of his countrymen and probably many of the apostles at first. And Matthew, uh, and, and if he was related to James, just so you know, they're never mentioned as brothers in the Bible, like James and John were. They're never called brothers. They're never listed together. And James the Less wasn't apparently mentioned when Matthew threw the banquet for Jesus where he had all the sinners come and Jesus came and upset everybody. James the Less wasn't mentioned in that story. So probably not brothers, but whether they were or weren't, the point, of the, the point I want you to hear on this is that Jesus was able to bring very different people together into his group of apostles. And they were able to lay down their differences and their, their, their controversies and they were able to become united in Christ. He preached in Palestine, Asian, and African Ethiopia. In those days, there was two terms, two words for Ethi two places of Ethiopia. One was in Asia Minor, the Turkey area. The other one was the one we think of today down in Africa. He preached in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, Syria, and Persia. His experience and tact in dealing with government uh, officials suited him well. There are nu numerous references of him preaching to kings and other high officials. He was a gifted writer and perhaps the most educated of the 12. I like this. Matthew's gospel has the only record of Jesus' parable of the hidden treasure. That's one where the, a man finds a treasure in a field and he sells everything to get it. Matthew himself left a lucrative career as a tax collector to find the hidden treasure in Christ. It is unclear how he died, but many think he was martyred in Egypt. James the Less. May or may not have been the brother of Matthew. We don't know for sure. 
Not to be confused with James the Great or James the brother of Jesus. There's several Jameses in the Bible. James the Less was born and raised in Galilee. If he was Matthew's brother, the two were nothing alike. They're never called brothers, nor is James mentioned as a guest, as I said, at the banquet that Matthew threw for Jesus. Whatever their relationship, though, we know that they became brothers in Christ. Little is known about his evangelistic journeys. This is a lot of tradition and legend that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm sharing here with you. But many believe that he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Then we get to Thaddeus. Thaddeus, also called Labaius. And Luke calls him Judas, son of James. Now, he's not to be confused with Judas, the half-brother of Jesus, or Judas Iscariot. It's possible that Thaddeus, which, by the way, is a nickname, and it meant something like mama's boy, <laughs> was the son of James the Great. So there was Simon, Andrew, James, and John, that James. Thaddeus, there's some indication that Thaddeus was his son, which makes it funny because you could think 12 guys hanging around together and one of them's got his kid there, his teenage kid, and all the other guys would be like mama's boy, right? You could, you could see that, that they would nickname him something like that. Along with Bartholomew and briefly Philip, he evangelized in Armenia. By the way, Armenia is, you see where most of the lines intersect over there on the right of the map on sort of the middle of Turkey to the, that was Armenia. Armenia was the first Christian nation. Funny today to think about the Middle East because we look at these areas and we see Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Azerbaijan, and all these areas, and we think of them as heavily Muslim, which they are. But for centuries, these, this was the cradle of Christianity. These were entirely Christianized areas. They weren't, Islam didn't come around until 500 years after Christ. Five or six hundred years later. These were Christian nations for centuries before the uh, is Islamic armies invaded and conquered them. As, as well as he made it to Mesopotamia, Arabia, Persia, and Syria. He was martyred with spears and arrows in northern Iran near the Russian border. Then we get to Simon the Zealot, the last on our list. We're not going to cover Judas. Iscariot, and that's the white line. Sorry, I, I, I messed up. Uh, James the Less, we don't, I don't know where he went. There's no, I can't figure out the tradition. So the second one I showed you there was Thaddeus Jude, the purple line. That was actually Jude, apologize. Then we get to Simon the Zealot, the last of the, of the 12 that we're going to talk about. He was probably a member of, the, of a set of radicalized Jews intent on overthrowing Roman occupation. The Zealots often carried a small dagger in their cloak, and they were... Uh, always ready to uh, snatch an unsuspecting Roman soldier and slit his throat when no one was looking. <laughs> that was one of the 12 apostles. He's associated with evangelizing in Egypt, Africa, Libya, Spain, and even Britain. Which would have been the, the, the Britain at this time, by the way, was part of the Roman Empire, and it was actually accessible by people from, from the, uh, all over the Roman Empire. Simon was eventually martyred alongside Jude in Persia. So when you look at the map here, what you see is, you know, the Middle East is, the, is, is where several continents of the world all sort of intersect. Africa, uh, Asia, Europe, they all sort of come together at the Middle East. And we can see by looking at these lines and tracing what the traditions and the history and the legends say about the apostles, that they were actually able to get to the ends of the earth 
their influence spread throughout the Roman Empire. They took the Great Commission seriously. I was thinking about some of us, some of the friends I have here in, in Simi Church. I was thinking of John Teal. You know, John Teal from Detroit, was a disciple in Detroit, moved to Chicago, eventually came to L.A., then went all the way over for some reason in exile in North Carolina and was there for several years. We all had to talk him into coming back. Then he came back to L.A. But if you put him on a map, John had some, some significant evangelistic travels. Then you got me, 15 minutes, that's all I went, you know, 15 minutes. But some of you came from all over the place. And wherever we go as ambassadors for Christ, we leave a trail behind us. Or we're at least supposed to. I don't know about you, but I want to. I want to leave a trail. It's amazing to think that all of these places at one point in time were Christianized lands. And it was because of 12 men, ordinary men. Differences, weaknesses, flaws, strengths, the whole shebang. Ordinary men, because they took Jesus' commission so seriously, did extraordinary things. The other thing I noticed is look how often they overlapped, how often they intersected, how often they went together places or spent time with one another. Their relationships were so vital to their success. There's so much to learn by looking at the 12 apostles and what they were able to accomplish. You know, the preacher who I joked about at the beginning who wanted to go out like Jesus between two thieves, he reminds me of a saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And he wanted to finish like Jesus. The apostles were ordinary men, like you and I. But after following Jesus, they finished like ambassadors, like the men that he wanted them to be. Now, I don't know how Jesus wants me to go out, and I don't know how Jesus wants you to go out, but I know this, I want to go out like an ambassador. Let's stand, we'll close with a prayer, and then we'll have a final song, and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. We're so grateful for all the kindness and the love that you've shown us. We're so thankful for the examples in Scripture.